You're right in D.C. with Gail Trotter. This is Gail Trotter, host of Right in D.C. Today, our guest is Jay Christian Adams. There was no one better I could have thought to have on today to talk about the bombshell news from this weekend. Christian is the president of the Public Interest Legal Foundation, and you've probably seen him on Fox a lot. Thank you so much, Christian, for joining us today. Thanks, Gail. This was a huge weekend. Can you summarize for our audience what happened? Well, Mueller essentially delivered the report to the attorney general, who then wrote a summary about it that is now out in the public. And the summary is is not very long. It's about two pages and it's transmittal to uh, Congress uh, of the summary. And that is that uh, there was no evidence at all of Russian collusion between Trump campaign officials and uh, the Russian government. It just didn't exist. And uh, there were no more indictments to come down. The, the investigation is essentially done. And uh, it was a, a whole lot of nothing, it seems, that the whole purpose of it was to root out this conspiracy between Trump and, and Vladimir Putin to defeat Hillary, and it just did not exist. Do you think that there was a thorough investigation undertaken by special counsel Robert Mueller and his team? No. Uh, the <clears throat> The letter goes to great lengths to detail the number of FBI agents, the number of lawyers, the number of subpoenas, the grand jury testimony, uh, the enormous expenditure of resources that went into this investigation is frankly, staggers the imagination how much went into it. So as far as whether or not it's thorough, all you could do is look at the massive expenditure of time and money uh, to, to answer that question. The answer is yes. Do you feel like uh, this report or the summary of the report from Attorney General Barr exonerates President Trump and his campaign team? Well, look, the central purpose of the Mueller investigation was to figure out if there was a coordination, collusion, conspiracy, um, uh, cooperation between the Russian government, Russian interests, and the Trump campaign in order to defeat Hillary. And that was the whole central purpose of this investigation. And we now know that the answer is no, that there was none. And as far as whether or not that exonerates the president, I can't imagine anything that could exonerate him more when it comes to this, now we know, false charge that Trump campaign officials and the president were working with the Russians to defeat Hillary? The, the answer is clearly 100% no. What do you think about Attorney General Barr and Rod Rosenstein spending the weekend going through the report and coming up with this summary? Do you think it's an adequate summary of what's in the report, or do you think that further information should be released? Well, I mean, it doesn't take much to I've I've had to do this on many different uh, many different Justice Department reports where you read it and you summarize it. My summaries usually appear as articles somewhere, but um, it, it's not a difficult task to read a report, uh, even if it takes several hours, and to write a two-page summary of it. So I, I'm I'm not struck by the challenge of 
of uh, having to prepare a document that captures what's in the larger report. I'm, it, it's not a, you know, it's not rocket science. You previously served in the Department of Justice, correct? Right. So you're very familiar with the policies and the procedures of the Justice Department. Well, the policies and procedures of the Justice Department in this particular case are also public. It's part of the code of regulations uh, of the Justice Department that the public can look at and see how this is supposed to work. And it's followed it pretty closely. So you feel like the um, procedures have been followed. And then what happens once a prosecutor, and, and Andy McCarthy has gone into this a lot, that Mueller has basically been a line prosecutor. He's not part of the independent counsel statute, which was let expire after the uh, Bill Clinton investigation. He is part of the, I guess, machinery of the Department of of justice, do you feel, given your your knowledge of the policy and procedures of the Department of Justice, that it's pretty much been followed up until now? Well, look, I wasn't in on the investigation, so I can't speak for the uh, investigation itself. What I can speak about is the fact that this is a criminal investigation, and this is the, essentially a closure memo. And in the United States, and and that's what makes our country unique and great is criminal investigations are not public affairs because uh, you have grand juries and grand juries can compel testimony from just about anybody. Actually, yes, from just, well, just about anybody. And so we don't release that information because we don't make criminal investigations public in the United States. That, that's a, an enormous power. It's, it's been used throughout history to abuse other people. So uh, what we do in the United States is we have secret criminal investigations uh, using secret grand juries. And, and in this particular case, Mueller uh, produced a report that has a lot of the secret information, and that's in keeping with the procedures of DOJ by giving it to the attorney general and the attorney general under the procedures, has the power to decide to summarize portions of it. And that's exactly what's happened here. And people who are not lawyers or not used to being involved in criminal investigations, you know, who generally get their idea of law from television, which sometimes is accurate, sometimes is not. I think sometimes people think, oh, if you don't want to talk, you just take the fifth and you don't have to answer any questions you don't want to answer. But it's more complicated than that. And I think you draw a great point about the grand jury that people will go into these secret grand jury investigations and they will be compelled to answer questions that may not be that may not implicate them in criminal matters, but certainly are embarrassing and could be detrimental to their business or their family. And I think you're making the point that the reason we try to keep this information private is because of the great harm that can come to people, even when there is not the ability by the government to prosecute someone for a particular crime. Is that correct? Right. What what goes on in a grand jury uh, is, is exercise of some of the state's greatest power. And power, as we all know, is subject to abuse. 
And that's why those proceedings are done in a way to protect people. Now, if evidence of a crime emerges, then the grand jury can indict, and then everything becomes public after that. And, and then there's an open process in the Constitution for a public trial. But in order to protect people before there's actually an indictment, those things are done in secret. I think you raise a really good point about once an indictment is issued, that it all becomes public. But at that point, anyone who is implicated in a crime has the ability to come forward and defend themselves. And we in this country place a very high burden on the government in order to make sure that people are not falsely convicted of crimes. And can you talk a little bit about how that, uh, I don't know, viewpoint or theory of uh, not giving people, uh, not smearing people and not allowing them to, to basically defend themselves, how that works in our criminal system. Right. And, and, you know, going back in history, you could just make accusations against somebody, uh, you know, in other countries. Um, and in, frankly, in the English system before the Constitution, and those accusations would destroy them. And so, you know, it would be over with. They, they, their reputation, their business, their livelihood would be lost. And that was enough to destroy political opponents. And so what we've instituted in our country is a secret system where a grand jury thoroughly collects information. Uh, here's testimony under oath, by the way. Lying to a grand jury is in itself a crime. And they decide whether or not there's enough evidence to uh, that a crime may have occurred and if there is and there's an indictment and the prosecutors have to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt so what this system does is protect the innocent from abuse of power by the government and as we've learned in this whole affair there was no russian collusion and that's precisely how it's supposed to work is that uh you know the grand jury hears testimony and if no crime was committed the whole thing evaporates like fog in the summer morning. It's so fascinating because um, when you think about those protections, unfortunately, some people fall prey to getting caught up in, in misstatements or lies to the government in, in furtherance of trying to protect themselves, even though there's not an underlying crime that occurred or happened. So when I'm referencing this, I'm thinking about some of the uh, very newsworthy plea agreements and guilty uh, verdicts against people like General Flynn, Paul Manafort, and the ongoing uh, legal uh, jeopardy that Roger Stone is in. What do you think about these people who were caught up in the investigation of Russian inclusion that we now know never happened, that it was just either an illusion or it was something used to try and uh, undermine the election or reverse the election or, or, if nothing else, to make President Trump and his administration less effective than they would have been if they hadn't had to uh, be constantly aware and responding to this investigation? Well, that's a great question, and Manafort is a, is a different animal. I'll get to him in a second. But when it comes to Roger Stone and Michael Flynn, their criminal charges were sort of these weird transactional ones, lying to the FBI, 18 U.S.C. 1001. 
And that is like the ultimate trap. When you, when you talk to the FBI or any federal official, frankly, and you uh, lie, it's a, it's a crime. And I don't think a lot of people are aware of that statute. Uh, Martha Stewart sure is. But, uh, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's, it's fascinating power. And it's why we have the Fifth Amendment. I mean, Michael Flynn and Roger Stone could have said, I'm not going to talk to you. Under the Constitution, we have an absolute right to not talk to the police. I mean, and and even if you're subpoenaed by the police to testify in front of a grand jury, you have an absolute right to say, I have nothing to say. Like Lois Lerner did, right? Exactly. So, you know, the, the Fifth Amendment is very clear that you do not have to testify. Yet, for some reason, it seems so many Americans are unaware of it, you know, and and, and go rambling off and say things they shouldn't say to, to FBI officials. And that's what happened to Roger Stone, apparently, or allegedly, and uh, same with Michael Flynn. Now, uh, Manafort is a different beast. What happened there was, you know, this investigation starts, and next thing you know, all of his dealings over the last, you know, five, six years come under the microscope, and it turns out he's moving money from various European governments or clients uh, and, and moving it through crazy things like rug stores in Alexandria, Virginia. And so he gets hit with a whole bunch of stuff totally unrelated to the predicate behind the uh, Mueller investigation in the first place, which was supposed to be Russian collusion, which we now know didn't exist. But by golly, Manafort's, you know, moving a million dollars to a, a Oriental rug store is going to send him off to the pokey. I've always wondered about those rug stores. They seem like they're always going out of business. I don't know if you've seen that too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so on Manafort, um, you're familiar with investigations and the way that uh, suspects are treated. It did seem like the treatment of Manafort was very heavy handed that uh, the judge I think it was his case, maybe it was Judge Ellis, said that it seemed like the government was not only trying to get him to sing, but to compose. And you saw the um, raid of Manafort's house at early time and with guns drawn and his wife was terrified, which is a little bit unusual. I would uh, my my understanding is for that for the crimes that he was charged with and put it, being put in solitary confinement and that's not to take away from uh, the serious crimes that he pled guilty to and was convicted to but do you think that his treatment was harsher because there was an effort to try and turn him against the president yeah I I was struck by and it happened to Roger Stone too don't forget yes these these strange pre-dawn uh, raids on people who um, I'm quite certain had had the U.S. attorneys or the FBI called up these people were all represented by counsel had called the counsel. I have a funny feeling that they would have turned themselves in. Right. Uh, but, you know, you in the case of Roger Stone, there was a CNN crew in tow because they had been tipped off by someone in the FBI. And, and Senator Chuck Grassley is very keen to get to the bottom of that. But this is, you know, this is how big government plays. It's, it's, you know, it's no, it's, it's same as uh, we've seen throughout the centuries that big government always is abusive. And, and uh, here we go. We got more of it. 
Right. And that's really tough, I think, for conservatives, because you served in the Department of Justice. There are many good conservatives and uh, people of, of fair minded or no politics in the Department of Justice and in these positions of power in the federal government. And yet it's it seems like it is very hard to overcome a lot of the impulses towards power and political influence that certainly uh, people at these agencies fall prey to. What advice would you give to people who are interested in being in those types of positions but are disgusted or are disappointed or uh, disillusioned that they sometimes do not live up to their high calling? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know what advice to give them, but I, I know that people in those positions always have to be cognizant of um, the limited uh, state of, of, of uh, government that is in, envisioned by this country and that, you know, kicking down doors in the middle of the night is um, really, I mean, you're dealing with, I mean, a political consultant. This is not MS-13, <laughs> right. you know, it's a little strange. Right. And I mean, it would be one thing if you thought he was a flight risk, then you just put surveillance on him, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily have to go in guns blazing. Um, so have you followed the commentary on the release of this letter from Attorney General Barr on Sunday afternoon? Yeah, I mean, the left is still in a state of mass hysteria. I mean, th this has been a mass hysteria event. I, 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 I said that on Fox and I, I, I was going to compare it to, um, it reminds me of the Millerites. The Millerites, a lot of people don't know what the Millerites were, but in 1844, the country sure did because they were a religious sect who claimed that the world was going to end on a very particular day, October 22nd, 1844. They were just completely convinced this was going to occur, just like all of the uh, um, guys in MSNBC are completely convinced that there was Russian collusion. And, and so what happened was they like sold all their stuff. They went into the state of mass hysteria, uh, just like we're seeing with, with Trump. And then October 22nd came and went, and the world didn't end. And they were just completely obliterated. Their 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 visions of themselves, you know, were uh, <laughs> their, their world was not validated. And it just reminds me of that. It's like, oh, there's Russian collusion. We're sure of it. We're going to see Jared marched out by the FBI, and then it doesn't happen. And, like, what happened? You guys, it was this mass hysteria event. And Byron York wrote a good piece talking about the five things that did not happen in this investigation and the conclusion of it. I don't remember all the five points, but one of them was that President Trump did not fire Bob Mueller. And how much did we hear that in commentary on CNN, MSNBC at, you know, the, the major networks? Endless. And, and there was this lust among those commentators to see people in handcuffs. I think, by the way, that's why they did what they did to Roger Stone and Manafort is because among the FBI, there's people who are sympathetic to the Adam Schiff's of the world regarding this. And, and these perhaps lawyers of the department who were involved in this, you know, we know a lot of them were Democrat, uh, Democrat partisans that were on Mueller's team. You know, something has to account for tipping off CNN. And I think that in part it was to satisfy this lust that the, the crazies had 
to see people in handcuffs and physically abused and physically marched around. I mean, they openly said they wanted to see that. So why not throw them Roger Stone in handcuffs? I think that's a really important word that has not been said, but is so apt for describing the reaction to the commentate by the commentators, the lust for seeing the downfall of others. And I, I noticed in a lot of the commentary, uh, it was repeated over and over again. This is a good day for America. This is a good day for Americans. You don't want a president or a president's campaign who's colluded with uh, the enemy, essentially. Right, right, and, right. Um, and then you have responses from people like Preet Bara, formerly of the New York... Uh, uh, office. He was the U.S. attorney. Yes. He was the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York. And he had a tweet this morning that he's not going to let it go. Uh, so my question for you, you've raised this lust issue, and I am curious. We saw a lot. You and I lived through the left's denunciation of George W. Bush, and we saw how um H.W. Bush was treated. Ronald Reagan was treated. I date myself uh, going back a little bit to Gerald Ford. Um, but it seems like this lust or this unhinged mass hysteria directed against Trump is at a fever pitch that we have never seen before. Maybe it's just the, the primacy of recency that we're living it. So it seems more extreme than how it's been in the past. But I certainly, my observations is that it's just off the charts. And in trying to assess, I'm sure it's different for different opponents of Trump, but what would you say is really behind the mass hysteria and the complete uh, targeting of President Trump? Well, you're now getting into something that we don't have time to fully explore. (laughs) But to, to try to distill it down, you know, you mentioned Bush. I was struck by Dana Perino yesterday saying that, oh, Trump shouldn't say anything about this right now. He should draft a carefully worded statement while he's on Air Force One yes. with his staff and issue a carefully worded written statement, which, of course, means Trump is going to do exactly the opposite of whatever <laughs> Dana Perino thinks is right. And he yeah. goes right out on the tarmac. And he speaks in sentence fragments and says, no collusion, no Russian collusion, complete exoneration. And he just absolutely drills home the, the main simple talking points that then totally uh, flow through the media narrative and absolutely wins the high ground in contrast to Dana Perino's suggested strategy. And I think what drives the left so bonkers is that Trump knows how to do this. And they were used to having tethered goats as presidents. Tethered goats meaning they can chomp at George Bush's hindquarters all day long, and they're never going to get kicked in the face. And I think that the institutional left is used to the Bush family being nice. And suddenly they have a guy who punches back. And by the way, this bothers all the never-Trumpers greatly, too, in the Republican Party. But the reality is it is modern tactical necessity, because if you don't do what Trump does, you will turn into what George Bush did, which is roadkill. And, 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 you know, God love George Bush. I think he's 
he was the right man at the right time. But, you know, he signed bills and legislation thinking that he'd suddenly be loved by Al Sharpton. And no sooner did the ink dry that he was being called a racist. And right. so you, Trump, un, Trump understands his enemy in a way that the Bushes never did. Yeah, you had George W. Bush signing PEPFAR, which helped the African continent with AIDS and uh, all the things that George W. Bush did and the failure to respond on a lot of things. And I, I agree with you. And, and I think he was the right person for the time, uh, but, but so he did not punch back. Um, and I think you have a brilliant insight too, Christian, that Trump, even though he is uh, caricatured as being of low IQ and talking like a fourth grader, how brilliant is it to just what you said, to go out there, say the top line, and you don't give the media the chance to uh, cut and paste and you say something else. But the, the quotes, the other quote that I love that he said yesterday is, you know, America is the greatest country on earth. And yeah. if you only give them a few things, then and they need tape of you today or yesterday, they have to play those clips and they can make fun of you exactly. or whatever. But that's the message that's going to resonate with the American people, except for the people who don't think America is great. So, <laughs> right. They, you're right. They, they have to play the clip. That's the bottom line. And here's the other part of this. And people in D.C. and people who have Ph.D.s and masters in public policy and work at think tanks don't understand this. Trump, and I didn't understand it. I confess, I didn't understand this at first. <laughs> Trump, Trump speaks in a language that mainstream regular America innately responds to. People who drive trucks and deliver bread and work in stores and, 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 and cut wood, they talk like this. They don't talk like they're a Kenny Bunkport, okay? Right. And Trump understands that, and that's why he is so popular among a segment that the Republican Party hadn't been able to reach since 1984. I went on Fox News on Saturday to discuss this when we knew that the summary was coming, but we didn't have the summary, and the other guest and I kind of got into it because I was saying it's not an exoneration, but the point I was trying to make is that prosecutors don't exonerate people. You are presumed That's innocent. Right. As an American, you are presumed innocent. And so the the in, the entire setup is that you're you're blameless to begin with. Um, and on I didn't I got cut off before I was able to fully make that point. The, um, this but, is why I this is why I don't do panels. Ah, smart. That's a good practice. Right. Tip. Thank you, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so I am curious, now that we have the summary, where do we go from here? Well, look, I think what will happen is the crazies will still be the crazies. And they're going to, you know, demand that the whole report come out. And, and you know, Nadler is going to, Gerald Nadler, chairman of House Judiciary, is going to call up, you know, a parade of people to, you know, keep the fire burning in, in uh, you know, in the, in the crazies, you know, that they, they want blood. And so they, he's going to do something to keep the conspiracy theories going. And, um, the problem is I'm not sure that congressional Republicans, you know, cause remember they, they pride themselves on being based on reason and <laughs> logic and, 
I don't think congressional Republicans will, will fully understand the power of, of uh, what the congressional Democrats are going to do next, and that is to con- keep the conspiracy alive. And I think that's what's coming next, is where we go from here is the battle just shifts. And I frankly think it shifts to an area that the Democrats have a lot of advantages because they understand mass psychosis. They understand emotional appeals to lunatics because that's what they do best. And uh, I think that what it means is where we go from here is this is just going to keep on going. Well, it's unfortunate that when Republicans held the majority of the House, they weren't able to use the power of the committees and investigations and hearings very effectively, in my view. Uh, But certainly the Democrats, as you're saying, are more skilled and they understand what the power of that can be uh, if Attorney General Barr is called before some of these committees, I guess, probably Judiciary Intelligence, who knows, uh, maybe Commerce, who knows, they'll try to get him up there for anything all the time, right? Uh, Right. Do you think he should go? Because we've had, you know, Loretta Lynch, Eric Holder, other people who have put off coming and testifying before Congress. Uh, Do you think he should go? And what kind of responsibility does he have as attorney general to not um, not answer every picayune question because of like we're talking about the grand jury testimony and things like that? Well, these are not symmetrical uh, hypotheticals about Holder and Lynch, because, as we said a moment ago, the Republicans are ill-equipped to fight with a um, Democrat who doesn't want to answer questions, and they they just don't. I mean, for example, you mentioned that the Republicans didn't seem to use their investigative uh, powers uh, effectively when they were in the majority. Well, part of that is, remember, Devin Nunes from California tried to and on multiple uh, issues, he was told to stop it by the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan. Yes. So, you know, you, you had this crazy situation where Nunes was getting some very good stuff, and the Speaker of the House wanted to talk about tax cuts or something, you know, that, uh, you know, a very right. large majority of the country likes but doesn't really care much about. Right. Yeah, I think that's a critical point. And do you think that, um, that President Trump should pardon General Flynn. Uh, he seems like the most obvious one because he, he, as far as we know, there there's nothing that he has been accused of unrelated to the investigation of the non-collusion. Um, and then from there, you know, what do you think President Trump should do with the other folks who have been caught up in this? Well, Flynn is a particularly uh, a fruitful area to examine a pardon because the circumstances of that case are so peculiar where a bunch of FBI agents trudged up to the White House in an effort to sort of frame Flynn, uh, and Flynn thought they were coming up for a policy briefing, right? Remember, Flynn was in the White House, and these FBI guys come up and start asking him questions, and they were trying to get Flynn to lie, and it's not even, it's not even clear he did lie. I think that some of the FBI agents indicated that he did not have uh, uh, the requisite intent to, 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 to commit this crime. Right. So I think Flynn is probably a very good place to start with pardons. Well, and to talk about this, too, you made the point at the very beginning of our discussion, which I think is a critical, excellent point that every American should know and take to heart. You said 
people shouldn't talk. You know, you have the Fifth Amendment right to not talk to federal investigators or and you made the point to anybody in government, essentially. Well, the problem is if you're in the White House and you're having a meeting with FBI agents and you have no idea that you are under investigation or anything like that. I mean, that that just completely that doesn't work. You can't do that if you're in the administration and not talk to your um, government people who are supposed to give you intelligence and tell you what's going on. So I think that's an excellent point that you made, that he got caught up in this. And he, even the agents who reviewed it said that they didn't think he was being duplicitous. And because the force of the federal government is so large and the cost of defending yourself and the problems to your reputations and your family, you might decide to enter a plea agreement, even though you you had uh, very tenable arguments about how you didn't actually do whatever it is you're accused of. Right. And so I, I think this is uh, this is the starting line for Trump pardons is Michael Flynn. Well, I think that is a great point to end on, Christian. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. If people want to read your excellent work and follow you, where can they find you online? Oh, heavens. Uh, try uh, publicinterestlegal.org, uh, but also at PJ Media. This is Gail Trotter. You can like me on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. You can subscribe to this podcast right in D.C. on iTunes, and you can leave a review. You can also support this podcast on Patreon. We have great T-shirts as gifts for patrons, courtesy of Hard Hits Custom Apparel. We would like to thank Trio Caliente, a local D.C. group, for the music on our podcast. This is Right in D.C. You're Right in D.C. with Gail Trotter.